Welcome to a great episode of Sports Matters here on Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Kevin Drake, and sitting across from me, your other host, Mr. Mapper Sports. How you doing this morning? I can't complain, Kevin. Happy to be back. Yeah. You know, did you enjoy your Memorial Weekend? I did. I enjoyed it. I got to see a lot of family members. You know, I got to play some golf. It was, it was good. It was a nice time. I was excited to see everyone. Well, that's good to hear. You know, the family's doing good. You got to finally catch up with the grandmas. We always appreciate our listeners, especially the grandmas listening in. And we got a really Uh nice show lined up for you. Uh, You know, I touched on it last week that UC Irvine baseball had won the Big West. They finished the season winning 14 out of 15 games. Then we're going to roll into the French Open. That's going on right now. And it's right in the heart of the French Open. And then we're going to touch on a little bit of Major League Baseball and some NHL. But in the middle of this show... We're going to have an interview from the Doe Post, and that's Adam Doe. We're going to talk some NBA basketball. So we got a full slate today, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get right to it. UC Irvine baseball. Maddie, I really believe since we've been doing this show for the last five years that this by far is the most balanced team that I've seen since I've been here. I mean, we've had some great teams in the past where they went 39-11 that one year and UCLA went 40-10 and 10 and UCI got to shaft. They didn't even get a chance to play in the playoffs at all. They played really well that year, and that team was pretty balanced. But this team, oh, my. They are really balanced, and they're going to be taking on Nevada, Stanford, and North Dakota States in the other brackets. So between these four teams, someone's going to survive and win this regional bracket. So... Without further ado, let's talk about the UC Irvine baseball. Why is this team so good? Well, I think if you look at it from a national lens, this is by far, you know, one of the best teams in college baseball. They rank 22nd in runs scored, and they rank, I think, 27th in, in ERA. They're among the top 15 to 17 teams in, in terms of, of win percentage this year. Like they're one of the best teams in baseball, and it's, it's no question about it. Their batting average is in the top 20. They're a top 20 team nationally in all those categories. So to back up your point about it being the most balanced team, the stats say that they're one of the most balanced teams in the country. And, you know, obviously the, the better teams uh, that are out there, you're going to have to deal with, like, you know, Arizona is really good. There's a few teams that are really good. But in this bracket, UCI should be the favorites in this bracket, in my opinion. Obviously, Stanford has a really great baseball program. Obviously, Nevada is coming in as as a really hot team and, and third ranked in this bracket. But UCI should be the one that people are paying attention to because this team, we said it all, yeah, all along, this team scores runs. They hold the other team to, you know, less runs. They have a group ERA of under three, or I think around three. And as a group, if your ERA is in three, you're looking at a really good pitching staff. And we, we keep touting Trent Denholm, but the rest of the guys on this team have been just as good as he has. And it's, it just shows that this team is poised to make a good run. And I'm confident in, in their abilities. I want to touch on the offense here. Eight players have a minimum of 30 RBIs or more with three players having 40 RBIs or more. I mean, that shows you how well-balanced this team is. And they have 398 runs scored. And you think about how many games they played, you divide it by that. They're averaging, geez, they're averaging seven runs a game. Seven runs a game. And then you look on the pitching side, you just mentioned Trenton Denholm. And then there are other big starters, Michael Frias, 8-1. and one. 
Nick Pinto, seven and three. Gordon, and he's got a long last name here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to pronounce it. Inga Britson, <laughs> six and one. Peter Van Loom, five and three. You know, along with Trenton Denholm at five and two. So they got a good, solid starting core. And then the relief, they're doing so great. I mean, Jacob King, an ERA of 1.96. In college, that's really good because you think about it, they're using aluminum bats. Much easier to get hits and get runs. You're right, Matt. This is probably the most balanced team that I think we've seen at UC Irvine in some time. And this is great because it shows you what Ben Orloff has done. He's really taken the program and he's ran with it and carrying on the tradition from the previous coach. So congrats to him and to everybody that's involved with UC Irvine baseball. We're excited. It's going to be a great tournament. And you're right, Matt. I really believe that I don't want to jump ahead, but knock on wood, but I really believe this team could really do some damage and get into college world series. And, you know, We'll see what happens. They're balanced, they're healthy, and they're hot right now. They've won 14 of the last 15 games, and they're going to face their stiffest competition right now. So I'm excited. I know you are too. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely excited. They're going to face some really good competition. Nevada is a solid baseball team to open up against, but you got to eat you know, what's in front of you before looking ahead. And, and I think that they're in a good spot, even though Stanford is that the top team in the bracket, in my opinion. It really should be UC Irvine. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a you know like it, you just look at it from a national perspective, and in this case they are like a top twenty team in the most important categories that are out there. They're a top twenty team, and Stanford right. is not in the top twenty in any of those categories. To me, it's like I think it's a little bit of a knock on the division that they're playing in, even though historically this division is really difficult to play in. But for whatever reason, they thought it wasn't all that difficult this year. So that to me is, is a little bit, okay, UCI is going to have a really good shot at this. And I think they got the roster to do it. And I think they have the hitting to do it. I think they have the confidence. I mean, this team is really confident coming in. They have a really good group of guys. And it just shows you when everything's kind of gelling, it's, it works. And one good thing i like to point out, too, about the UC Irvine defense their fielding percentage is almost near perfect. They got a, almost a 98% fielding percentage. They turned 100 double plays throughout the season. That's incredible. You know, averaging two double plays per game. That's huge, you know, getting out of some innings when the pitchers do get in trouble and they set up for the double play depth and they actually turn them. That's uh, very impressive. So the fielders play great defense. They're an offensive powerhouse because they can score runs in bunches. There's not many teams in this country that can score you know, 10 plus runs a game. Like I, I think they did it on multiple occasions this season. So this UCI team is really good. And I, I think we kind of forget about that, that this program has had arguably, you know, it was one of the most successful programs at UCI in terms of sports. I know we talk a lot about the basketball, but it's easy to forget how much success this baseball team has had. Absolutely. You know, if it wasn't for them getting shafted, you know, a couple of years ago, I know I keep bringing it up. I should let it go. Because this team, by far, is even more balanced than that team. And that was a very, very good team. And now, and that was Trenton Denholm when he was a freshman. Now, you look at him, he's a junior now, and they're solid. This crew is solid. I mean, you look at Nathan Church leading the hitters with a 355 batting average, followed by Mike Peabody at 353. Mike Peabody is kind of like their uh, cleanup hitter, eight home runs, 54 RBIs, 66 hits. I mean, this is all done in, in a matter of 56 games. And the way they closed out the conference, 
they dominated the conference 32 and eight this year. That's impressive. I know Long Beach State's not what it used to be, but they're still a pretty competitive team. But Cal State Fullerton, I was surprised how they just dismantled that team in a four-game sweep. And I know they're not at the level they normally are. That was impressive. So right now, things are trending up with UC Irvine baseball. So this could be a great tournament. I'm excited. So we'll see what happens here. Hey, something else great's going on in the world. We're going to shift gears over to the French Open. Yes, the King of Clay, Rafa Nadal, just six months ago won it. And he's looking to uh, repeat as a French Open champ. So he's moving along pretty good. And you know, on the ladies' yeah, I side. He, I think it's safe to say that he's probably going to repeat. Well, here's yeah, what's interesting that I brought up in the uh, last show. The way they did the draws. So now Dominic team is out. He got knocked out in the first round. He was on the other side. So basically, Matt, you have the big three are on one side of the draw, and you got the new three on the other side of the draw. So what's going to happen is by the time Rafa makes it to the quarterfinals, he's going to have to face either a Federer or Djokovic. And then semifinals, they're projecting that's going to be Rafa Nadal versus Djokovic in the semis. He has to play two of the big three before he gets to the finals. So that's more of a challenge, even though Rafa is the king of clay. That's still a bigger challenge because those sets could go three, four, could be a best of five. And then on yeah, the other side, you got Zverev, it's Rafa, Medvedev, you know, and uh, CC Pass, the new three on the other side, and they're going to have to go through each other as the new three once again, the quarterfinals, the semis. So whoever survives, it'll probably be Rafa versus CC Pass. Because I think CC Pass has been playing the best tennis. And Daniel Medvedev is uh, number two in the world. And if he's really improved his clay play, it could be him in the finals versus Rafa. If you're a betting man, of course, you got to put your money on Rafa. If yeah. he wins it, it'll be his 14th. I mean, the man has won 13 out of the last 15 French Opens, which is just unheard of. Nobody's dominated one surface as much as Rafa Nadal has. That <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But let me ask you, and so, I mean, I obviously semi-pay attention to tennis. Yes. Um, I mainly get my tennis information from you because I, I'm not, I don't follow it as much as you do. But there was a little bit of controversy with Naomi Osaka, and I was curious to see, to get your opinion, being that we are media members and, and we do interview some athletes. So I was kind of interested yeah. in hearing your perspective on it. Certainly. So Naomi Osaka, when she won her first Grand Slam, she was 20 years old. She won the U.S. Open and then followed by winning the Australian Open in 2019. And then she fired her coach at that time because he put a lot of pressure on her, really worked her pretty good to get her to the point where she was at. And she just at that point, she even said, you know, I just don't like all the pressure. I just want to relax and have a good time and have fun. So a lot of people thought she was going to fall off. Fast forward it. You know, we had the pandemic and whatnot. Once again, two years later, she ends up winning the U.S. Open and the Australian Open. So clearly, Naomi Osaka's strengths are she's really, really good on multiple hard surfaces as, as a tennis player. And, you know, but she's still a young lady and she's 22 years old now and she's still a little shy, kind of like a, an introvert, if you will. But the problem is, is when you're a top 10 player, she's number two in the world. The media is going to be on you, and you do have to do media post-game reports. It's very, very important. The way Martina Natatavlova has said it, she's probably one of the most accomplished tennis players. She says, I get where Naomi's coming from. She goes, I love her to death. She goes, I adore Naomi Osaka. And she says, but she goes, I think it's really, really important 
that we have our media time to have those press conferences because it's very important to tennis and it's very important to the player because that's how tennis is marketed. But they want to hear from the players. Naomi has struggled on clay. That's not her strong surface. And instead of her answering all the questions to the media, because they're like, well, how, how are you struggling on clay? You're the number two player in the world and so-and-so. That can weigh in on a, a player's mind, especially when you're a young person. And it's just like, oh, you're getting all this negativity from the media or it feels that way. And it really bothers you. And, and you know, she's human. She's still a young lady. And so instead of uh, having to deal with that, she was fine with getting a $15,000 fine for each round and, you know, not talking to the media. And then when it became a big thing, she finally decided to, to withdraw because she just wanted to focus on her game and really work on improving her clay play. So it looks like she'll take a little time off and probably skip the rest of clay season. Obviously she is, because this is it. This is the last big tournament of clay season before it rolls into grass season, which is Wimbledon. So, you know, my heart goes out to her because she's a great tennis player and she's a great character person. She was born in Japan and, you know, she also lives in the United States. So she really learned how to become a great tennis player. And she's still one of the top forces in the tennis world. And she'll be back. It's just a matter of her just working through this and to understand that media is going to be a part of her tennis career. And that's just something that she's going to have to deal with. And that's what Martina had said. So. That's kind of how it is in a nutshell. Hey, she gets nothing but love here on Sports Matters. I'm telling you oh, that yeah, right now. Oh, yeah, she gets nothing but love. And it's it's like I kind of wish she would have just done what, you know, had the confidence to be like Marshawn Lynch and be like, look, I'm here. I'm not going to answer any of your questions. I'm here so I don't get fine. But it, it, it makes <laughs> sense. Like if you're, yeah. dealing, if you're dealing with something mentally like that, maybe it's, that's not the most sensitive thing to say, but. I'm sure that she could take a page out of that book and, and do something like that if she doesn't want to answer any of those questions. Because honestly, I think it's, you know, I, I understand like the whole, the media landscape and the marketability and the transparency. I understand all that. But I think it's just kind of dumb to the fact of if you just lost the Super Bowl or if you just lost the match, you shouldn't have to go and talk about, you know, the match to the media. You it's your option to. I've always thought like it's just kind of dumb. Like why do why do you you just lost? You don't want to talk about it. You're already, you know, you're either angry, sad or upset. You know, it doesn't bode well to go and speak to someone about stuff like that. So if you're not in the right mental mind frame, I don't believe you should be talking to the media. So I, I totally am supporting her in her efforts. I think if you're in a positive mind frame and, and ready to answer questions, you should be able to because to be honest with you, they could write a story about any one of those tennis players, post it, and have a quote. They can go talk to Serena. They can go talk. They can go talk, talk to any of those top tier tennis players. I'm blanking on the name. Cece Boss yep. is a male, right? Who's the female that you won the Australian Open? Sophia Cannon. Sophia Cannon. I was watching the ESPN, and she, well, they were asking her about Osaka, and she basically said, you know, it's like I support her and what she's doing, and. You can easily go get a sound bite from one of the, you know, the, one of those ladies and, and you can use that as, as news because if you're a hardcore tennis fan, you're going to want to hear from those type of people. So you got to remember, she is the face of tennis, so she's going to have to answer to the media. What I don't like is the critics. They come down hard on you. Well, why are you struggling on clay? And she's trying to work on that inside internally to become a better clay player. And then when they're always talking down to her, she's like, okay, I'm going to zone out the noise 
and focus on my game where Kobe thrived on that. It's like when he had all these critics come down saying this and that, he didn't even listen to it. He just focused on, I'm going to be great. I'm using their negativity for my motivation. And maybe hopefully Osaka can do the same as she matures. You know, Clay may never be her strong suit, but she'll definitely get better and better. It's a hard surface to play on, to go from a fast hardcore to the slow Clay. It's a completely different game. Yeah. That's what makes tennis so unique because even on these hard courts, like the Australian Opens, this more slightly slower surface where U.S. Opens extremely fast. Indian Wells is like sandpaper surface, so it slows the ball down. You just, you just get different spins. For her to win on two different surfaces and be repeat champs at the Grand Slam events, I mean, you really shouldn't be criticizing her. Okay, Clay might not be her strong suit. It's very rarely, I mean, only Djokovic and CeCe, or excuse me, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer have won on all surfaces. Even during the yeah. Nadal's run, Djokovic yeah, and Federer are the only two that won the, the French Open during Nadal's run. Other than that, it's uh, it's been all Nadal. On the ladies' side, it's it's rotated around, but Serena's won on all four surfaces. It's really hard to do. Yeah. It's the critics. And it I, just comes I think- down to critics. And, you know, she'll get more mentally tough. And, you know, once she takes this break and comes back, she'll be back stronger than ever. She's already proved it once already from 2019 to 2021. She, she fired her coach, and she really wanted to enjoy the game and just be more relaxed and kind of just be – the quiet, she's a quiet, shy girl, and she just wants to enjoy the love of the games. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's not fair for her to be put in. I obviously, I like, I get it. Like, you should go and, and do the media situation. But if you don't want to answer a question, literally be rude. Like, there's if they're going to ask questions that are not very, like, fun. And she's she seems like she likes tennis, and she likes to do it, but she doesn't want to, like, you know, like, it, she doesn't want to be the face of, of this she wants to, to be her own person and and i think that that's okay but if she doesn't want to have to answer a question i'm just here so i don't get fine <laughs> you know right, like, right. Or, or do like, the one word answers like, like kobe and just do it be you know she's a very nice person and i've seen her up close you know during the practice sessions at indian wells she's just really nice and shy and but she's a great tennis player i mean if i've she, seen her live takes- i've seen her play and she's she's phenomenal i mean the women's field is loaded with talent. Any of the top 25 women can win the Grand Slam, can win any tournament, and it's happened because you see there's there's different winners almost at every single slam, except for Swatek is the one that uh, repeated from last, or, or she's bucking to repeat the French Open. She won the French Open last year. Ash Barty won it well, the year before. Helena Ostapenko won it the year before that. So Yeah, so she should go and watch Greg Popovich interviews. So, you know, watch them, get the highlight tape going, and then literally just model her answers after that. If she doesn't want to talk to anyone at the media, be like, what are you going to do to, you know, improve your ability on clay? Be better. Just like when you Osaka know, like, uh, lost to Coco Golf, just the last tournament or the previous slam when she destroyed Coco Golf, and how she consoled her and said, hey, you know, it's okay. You'll get there. Now you got Coco Golf in the third round, and she's really – she's ranked number 24th in the world now. She's 17, and I'll tell you, this girl has uh, sky's the limit for her, and she's continued to improve and improve, and she's shown how great of a singles player she could be. So, hey, Coco's in this too. So she could be a – this will be a record if she wins the championship – or excuse me, wins the Grand Slam at age 17, the French Open. I think she'll be the youngest to win a French Open. So, yeah, who else? So she's is, still who else in is it. Hanging around. Well, you got Iga Swatek, who's uh, you know the first Polish player to win a Grand Slam. She did that last year at the French Open, which was six months ago. So she's got to defend her points. So she has to win it just to keep her points. And then Sophia Kennan's still in it. 
Uh, Sloan Stevens is still in it. It's still a third round, so it's still early. But obviously, Serena's already advanced onto the fourth round. Uh, Azarenka has advanced to the fourth round. Some players have skipped this tournament or have been knocked out already. It's it's clay season is tough on some of the ladies, so it may not be their strong suit. So obviously, Naomi's out now, and Danielle Collins got knocked out by Serena Williams in straight sets. So yeah, this is going to be a great tournament. It's looking like uh, Rafa Nadal, if he wins this 14th, that means he'll have the most grand slams of any men's tennis player. He'll be at number 21, and that will put Federer at 20, and Djokovic will be sitting on 17, because that's most likely how it's going to play out. (laughs) Imagine that. Between the three of those, the big three, they have, what, 58 grand slam titles? That's if Rafa wins this year. 58, and then Federer wins Wimbledon, then Djokovic wins the U.S. Open. They'll be on 60 between the three of them. That would be insane. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. But I think that tennis is in a really good place with all these younger. The next generation is going to provide a lot more, carry on the good legacy that all these older veterans have created. So they're going to, tennis is going to be in a great place. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we got a real treat for you right now. We're going to break away because we have a special guest, Adam Doe from the Doe Post, and we're going to talk some NBA basketball with Adam Doe. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Adam Doe to Sports Matters once again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Sports Matters and sitting across from me. You may have heard him on the Doe Post. I have Adam Doe in studio from UC Irvine. What up, Kevin? It's an honor to be back here. This is like an annual thing now. I, I like it. Yeah. I like it for, for us. Annual thing. Uh, yeah, we're I'm one week away from graduating. Got a finals week left, and uh, that's it for the show. So what are the big plans this summer? So now that you got school out of the way, we've come out of this pandemic. We're shaking off the pandemic haze. What do you got planned for this summer? You know, two months to kill for me. And then there's a good chance that in August, I'll be headed to Vegas, UNLV, to work at NBA Summer League as an intern. So Summer League, for anyone that doesn't know, that's the basketball tournament in the summer that the NBA hosts. So we can see some of the college players play for the first time professionally. So imagine, you know, Zion from 2019, if he was a rookie this year, he's going to be there and, you know, he's going to pack the, the arena for sure because everyone's going to want to see him. So, yeah, I'll, there's a good chance I'll be there. I'm still waiting on details, but that's the plan. Yes. Well, hopefully it does come about. I don't see why it wouldn't. You know, Vegas is completely opened up from what I understand. And that's a great place to host the Summer Pro League. And you're right. It is a great chance to see a lot of the collegiate players or players that come over from Europe. You really get to see that two-week span of, of like who these players are and get you excited for, for the upcoming season. So speaking of basketball, I know you and I, I mean, we're Laker fans. Let's talk about this current Lakers. Yeah, they were ousted by a young Suns team, you know, led by Chris Paul. And I just want to get your thoughts on that series. Uh, I've been on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. I've seen a lot of uh, opinions from the Lakers crowd. I I understand we're an emotional crowd. We just won last year. So it makes sense that everyone wants to run it back for a second year. But I think a lot of people don't understand how extremely hard it is to win, but even like extremely harder to like win two times in a row. I think, you know, for us, it's a miracle that we only had two months of break, basically, if you don't count like any preseason games. But LeBron was in the MVP talks before he went down. Before AD went down, we were like second in the West, which I still think is just like a miracle. But in the end, like I think just our lack of rest, our lack of practices, 
and injuries happening at the very worst times or not even injuries, but, you know, people like Schroeder entering the protocols at the very worst times. That just really like did not help us at all. And it's great that we won game two and three, but I'd say Chris Paul being hurt with his shoulder, it, it helped us in that department. But hopefully next year we can, you know, see these two teams fa- uh, play again, but like at full strength. You're right. I mean, we're in a day and age where it's so easy for people to go on Twitter and just heavily criticize their team. Oh, they didn't win. LeBron's not this. LeBron's not Kobe. Look, you can't compare players to other players. It's totally unfair. LeBron James did everything humanly possible. I felt this was more on the coaching staff to with the changeover and roster. And I know you're going to touch on NBA salary caps, why the team was assembled the way it was because of that. But I felt that LeBron being very strong, six foot eight, 285 pounds, he really shouldn't have been bringing the ball up as much as he had because that was one of his major complaints as last year in Cleveland was he, he kept bringing the ball up and it just takes a lot of energy out. I know that's the way the game is played this year, but if they just did a change of strategy, and really slow the game down, put him in the half court because you got a lot of new pieces. And to get those guys working together, allowing Caruso and Schroeder to be the ones bringing the ball up and put LeBron down the low block because he can dominate down there. He has the skill set and he could set up the other players because when you have that spacing, you have that inside outside game. There's a lot of creativity that could come out of that set. That was my one thing I really felt that they could have preserved this series. Maybe they still would have lost to the Suns in seven. Who knows? We don't know. They were definitely gassed. And it's completely unfair because the way the pandemic was, they didn't really get much time off in between. He didn't get enough time to recover. But you're right. He was number one in the MVP voting. Yeah. Speaking of like roster and, you know, your point about LeBron not not needing to bring the ball up a lot like that. I think that was what Schroeder was brought in for. He was supposed to take the ball handling pressure off of LeBron. In this series, we saw that Schroeder, I'm not going to count the last game. It doesn't matter that they lost, but, you know, Schroeder only did well in the games that Chris Paul was, you know, injured or just out in the other games. Like, you know, there was that zero point game from Schroeder. First game, same thing, basically. Not many, not much contributions. I think Schroeder, it's really hard to like judge him because he was out with covid at least once. We don't know if it was twice, but there are those two times where he was out for about two weeks. It's hard to like play hard basketball, take a break and then come back and then take another break and then come back to do the playoffs. It's just really hard to do. He had that ankle thing happen to him in game three. So we don't know if that was like an injury factor or not. A good segue into like the, the roster, I guess. But in my opinion, I think the roster was built as well as it could have been with the resources that we had. But again, it's just the lack of rest and the injuries. It just messed everything up. Right. I wasn't expecting the Lakers to win it when they went into this playoffs. You know, when they took that two to one lead on the Suns, I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. You know, you have to give credit. You have to tip your hats to the Suns. Devin Booker played like the Black Mamba would play. A prolific scorer. He had that killer instinct. Uh, DeAndre Ayton played really well. Cameron Payne was a pain in the butt to the Lakers. They're just much younger, much fresher. You know, they weren't in the playoffs last year. So <laughs> this team. It, it hurt me just to watch Booker play like that. But, you know, it's. The respect to him for literally channeling like Kobe and his veins the last couple games in this series and just like making any shot he wanted. It was it was amazing to watch, but it also hurt to watch as well. 
It is. You know, the future still looks bright for the Lakers. What happens in the offseason are definitely going to have time to rest and maybe build up some depth and make a few adjustments here. But making adjustments every year, that, that's challenging in itself because you got to be able to play together. And now you see with Brooklyn, James Harden just went down. We don't know how long he's going to be out. And that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a long series if Harden's out because the, the Bucks can play really good defense. If they're focusing on stopping Kevin Durant, hey, that could be a different series. So I think that series is going to go seven games. Now, Maddie says it's Brooklyn's to lose. What's your assessment on that series? I still think Brooklyn can do it, man. They basically brought in Harden just in case um, one of the other two goes down. So it's like, you know, if you have three superstars, if one of them goes down, you, have, you still have two superstars. And, you know, historically we've seen winning teams, like they, they can get it done with just two superstars. So Lakers last year, even the Warriors, you know, they were really close. Like they lost two superstars and they, 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 were, they were really close, I think. But I think Brooklyn, they can literally shoot their way to the conference finals and possibly the finals, man. You know, Harden went down yesterday, but it, it didn't change the result at all. They still won by a good lead. Yeah, he went down the first minute of the game, so and they still and it didn't didn't matter. Didn't, it didn't matter. matter. Yeah, that's what's so exciting. And I, Atlanta's got a really big lead on Philadelphia, so that's going to be an interesting series. That Trey Young is something else. I tell you, he's another one like Devin Booker's really stepped up in his first opportunity in the playoffs, and this is really good to see. I mean, this is what the NBA is about. It's evolving. It hurts as a Laker fan again, but you know, credit to them for being Kobe fans just like us, and yeah, channeling their inner. Kobe to just get any shot they want, get get any foul call they want. I, I was I was surprised to see like a twenty point lead uh, when I checked the boss score before we got on. I thought that Embiid you know only got in ten minutes or something, but apparently he's been, he's playing and he has a couple points. But wow, like twenty point lead even when Joel Embiid is still in, that's amazing. I know he's got the Mamba mentality that Trey Young does, as did Devin Booker. No, this has been a very interesting playoffs, and we knew. I mean, look, this season we've had a lot of injuries to a lot of stars. I mean, Donovan Mitchell went down, but Utah still maintained the number one seed. And it's like now you got Utah that's in it. The Phoenix Suns are in it. So Phoenix and Denver are going to square off. And then we're waiting to see what happens with the Dallas Mavericks and the L.A. Clippers. Now, this is I got to point out an interesting stat, and I'm going to share my screen here because I want you to see this firsthand, is that the last time that the road team in the playoffs won every single game was 1984 when the New Jersey Nets played the Philadelphia 76ers. And that was back in the day when they did a best of five. But the road team won every single game. At that time, it was the New Jersey Nets, and they defeated the Philadelphia 76ers in five. They won all three of their games in Philadelphia. New Jersey won or 76ers won both their games at New Jersey. And the only other time that it got close to that is when the Spurs and Rockets in the mid-90s with David Robinson versus uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. And the first four games, actually the first five games, the Rockets won all three road games. Spurs won the two road games that they played. And then when it got to game six, back to Houston, Houston finally won their first home game and took the series four games to two. Where I'm getting at is right now you got Dallas at LA Clippers, tied 3-3, and every single game was won by the road team. Who's going to win this game? Who's going to win this series? Who knows, man? Like you said, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't seen something uh, like this happen since 95 and 84. Yes. So who knows? I, I, thought, I thought the Mavs like, would have gotten it taken care of um, at home in game six. But 
you know, they couldn't do it. And Kawhi and PG, I think they've been great. It's just that they had some costly turnovers in the last couple of games in the series. And that kind of just helped the Mavs win today. I, I don't know, man. Like if on the, on the one hand, like usually you root for the higher seated team, but then no one expected like a young Luca, like to do accomplish this against two veteran, all NBA players. My guess, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Mavs. I'm going to say the Mavs. I really so do. Road teams all the way. I'm with you. I just, I want to see it. I want to see a seven game set complete with the road team winning every single game. That'd be something. At this yeah. point, it really doesn't matter. Our Lakers are not in it. So I'd like to see a, a new team win the championship that has never won before. I guess that would be what? Utah, Phoenix. Those two teams have never won a championship. I don't know about the Denver Nuggets. I mean, they could have way back in the day, but I don't think they ever won one either. And Kevin, the added bonus, if the Clippers lose game seven tonight is we'll be able to hear the explosion of their fan base from, oh, yes. from, from all the way in, <laughs> at our houses. Oh yeah. You're definitely going to hear that for sure. Until they win a championship, they'll always be the stepbrother to the Los Angeles Lakers. Whoa, Kevin, we're, we're stretching there uh, until they get to the, the finals or the conference finals, at least. Yes, I agree. So I know you, you've been uh, broadening your horizons a bit and you're getting into other sports. So, man, Matt would have loved to talk with you about golf because Matt's all about golf. And we witnessed something pretty historic that Phil Mickelson ended up winning the PGA championship at age 50. No 50 year olds ever won a major. And, yep. and he did it. Did you get to catch that? Bits and pieces. The last golf event that I watched like a lot of was the Masters. And then I was proud to see Hideki win and see another, you know, Asian person just take a championship in sports. So that was awesome. But yeah, Phil, I, I think Phil is just like a funny guy. So that's why I like to see him play. And, you know, the those fun like uh, matches that he does with Tiger on, on uh, TNT or something like that, where they play for charity or whatever. I, I think it's just hilarious to see. I'm generally rooting for like the old athletes that are still like killing it and just like beating people my age or in their 20s at, at the same sport. I love the Masters especially because I don't know if they do this for every tournament. They play like really soothing music between like in, during commercials. And I just enjoy that. It's like, it's just a different thing from basketball or football where it's like everyone is like, like riled up, like let's do this. Golf is just really calm really collected it's all in the noggin and you're right it was so cool to see Hideki win it Matsuyama I mean the first Japanese board player to ever win a major and the fact he won the granddaddy of them all the masters and I was so happy for him and it's so great because Japan is very very passionate about golf there's a lot of great golfers that come out of Japan and it's finally to see him on the, the grand stage like you said so I'm totally stoked about that one and yeah i think golf golf has like even different stakes on the other sports because hideki is this like one man representing an entire country at like a golf tournament that's just insane to think about no it really is and there's a lot of great challenging courses and, and especially now the pga championship what made that one unique because what matt was saying it's one of the longest courses on the tour and the way this one was set up is really difficult and the fact that phil mickelson made it through at 50 years old i always attribute it to uh the commercial he did a couple years ago the phil mickelson dance when he's dodging the golf balls left or right <laughs> he kept himself in shape put himself in a really good position to win and and he came through and he just had a great weekend and it happened like that because golf is a lot of it's in a mind strategy and just playing within your means tom watson said something because he was the oldest to almost win a major 
He was 59 and he came up short on the last day, but he made a prediction that he believes that Tiger Woods will play golf again. And I have always been a, a fan of Tiger Woods. Yeah, I saw, you know, the, they were kind enough to post the entire 2019 Masters on YouTube. So I saw a lot of it. I think it was like the 15th hole or something like that, where Finau and an Italian guy, they both like messed up in the uh, Molinari. Hole, but yeah. Molinari. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, that's when Tiger knew, I think that that, that was his shot. And um, yeah, great to see if like one hole can just like mess everything up for you. It can. I don't know how they do it. I mean, I'm not much of a golfer, but that's, that's cool that you're, you're broadening your horizons. You're a sports person. Now, have you been doing some writing? Because now you got this free time in the summer. You know, I imagine you're probably going to want to cover these NBA playoffs because this is very interesting. Well, I do. I have a, a little section in my, my notes app for uh, basketball writing. So far, I just have like two things I've written on. Taylor Horn Tucker and Dennis Schroeder regarding their contracts and how, how, how it's going to work for them this off season. I think most people, even though I have a lot of friends now that, that are into the, the contract stuff, like I am, I still think generally most people don't know a lot about how the rules work in the NBA. Like we talked a little bit about the football and how, how their hard cap works. And I think the basketball is just super weird because we don't have a hard cap. Really. We have a soft cap. So like you could go over the cap. It's just, you need exceptions to do so. And, you know, no, the answer is no. The Lakers are not going to trade everyone away, not named AD and LeBron to like create cap space. That's, that's just ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But, you know, that's kind of writing that I'm interested in, which is basically the writing that not many people know how to do, honestly. Uh, but I'm, I'm giving it a shot. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. No, I think it's great. It'll be very interesting because it gives people a good perspective of what it's like running an NBA team and what it's like, what the reality of it is, how they put together a team. And people think, oh, you can trade all these guys and get Damian Lillard. No, it's not that easy. It's not fantasy basketball. You know, like they don't, they don't just sit around and think like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have Damian Lillard on the Lakers? Let's do it. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, a lot of obstacles in the way. I mean, you just nailed it. People just think, oh, the way I run my fantasy basketball team, that's how the pros should do it. No, it doesn't work that way. It's real life and real numbers and real contracts. And there's a lot more to it. The luxury tax. It's a business. Yeah. No, I'm, so, I'll definitely be a fan. I'll definitely be reading your stuff. You know, we here at Sports Matters, we always hold you in high regards. You're going to do great things in your life. And we're just yeah. so honored and fortunate to have known you. And we want to keep in touch with you the, with the dough post. And you're right. Yeah. The same here, Kevin. And, uh, you know, I think the cool thing is you can actually go through like your old Sports Matters episodes with me on and you can actually see the growth and see like how, how different of a person I've become, I guess, or how, how, how much more knowledgeable I am on basketball. But yeah, I think, you know, each player on the Lakers that's going to be a free agent this summer, like I think each one has a, their own unique like situations that could happen. And you could I could write like a lot on just like one player on the Lakers. Um, oh, absolutely. But, you know, helping people understand like how, what goes into building a team is I think it's really cool because that's the backside of it where people just want to see the end results and you want to see championships and get spoiled a bit. But sometimes like I'm from Cincinnati, I'm a huge Reds fan and they haven't won anything since 1990, probably before you were born. I'm still a fan and it's exciting what's going on with them right now because they, they got a great offensive unit and that's something they improved on from last year when they went into that playoffs and they didn't score a single run against the Braves. Credit the Braves pitching, but zero runs in 22 innings in two games was uh, that left a salty taste in their mouths and they adjust and they fixed that. 
but they did it through the farm system. And now guys are ready. They're healthy. Yeah. Speaking of baseball, I watched the Dodgers win the World Series last year. It was great to see a winning team that's that wasn't the Lakers, but still in LA. And you know, now that the Lakers are, are eliminated, refocusing my efforts towards baseball. I saw some highlights from uh, the game against the Cardinals the other day with like 11 runs in the first inning or something like that. I was watching the highlights and I didn't realize until the end of the video that they scored 11 runs in the first inning. I thought, I thought the highlights were like spread out throughout the game. And then, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then I realized like, Oh, they, they hit a lot of home runs and then they hit like a grand slam and you know, yeah. 11 runs in the first inning. They are the team to beat. The Dodgers are the team to beat. The Padres are exciting because they are a serious threat now, but they got to get over the hump and they got to beat the Dodgers. And right now the Dodgers own the Padres. So that's going to be interesting how this season plays out with because those two teams are going to meet up at least 12 more times. So that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I saw a couple games, Dodgers, Padres this, this season so far. Would it be fair to say, you know, Dodgers are kind of like the Laker team and Padres are kind of like, you know, the Clipper team in California, even though they're in different cities? Or maybe Angels would be the Clippers. Maybe that's better. Yeah, that's better. I mean, the Padres, they're San Diego all the way. San Diego mm. sports, they've had their hearts yeah. ripped out. I don't know if San Diego's ever won a championship ever. I know the, uh, excuse me, I know the Chargers made it to the Super Bowl and the Padres made it to a couple World Series, but came up short both times because they just faced an inferior opponent. It's exciting for like small teams like that, the Padres and the Reds. But right now, the Dodgers are sitting on top of the hill. They're the king of the hill. <laughs> Yeah, man, the pitching, I'm still learning the pitches. I don't understand how like the commentators, they know exactly what pitch is thrown. Like some, I guess like 95 miles per hour, obviously that's a fastball, but the other ones like a curveball, a slider, a changeup, like I'm still learning how, how those are. Breaking pitches. It's also strategy. It's just a matter of a pitcher could throw a couple where they just paint the inside corner. Then they come back with a high fastball to just get the batter off a balance, try to have them chase something. And then they just come back with something that appears to be a fastball. And then it just drops like Kershaw was great at that. That's what made him so great. Yeah. No, he's something else up there in age. Yeah. Something else, something else I've noticed is with framing in baseball or, you know, in basketball, it's like when a referee gets a call wrong, it's like it's trending on Twitter. We're all like complaining, you know, the NBA is rigged or something like that. But then in baseball, it's if it if the ump gets a call wrong, it's like we just move on. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, like we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't used to that, so I, I just thought that was interesting. Hey, this happens. I go to my niece's soccer games. And they're a freshman out in high school, but you have one. There's always one parent in the stands or heckling the referees the whole time, and it's like really. Just enjoy the game. Enjoy the children. And finally, the ref came over and said, hey, if you think you could do a better job, here's the whistle. She was quiet. She didn't say a word. And it's like, just enjoy the game. We're human. Every now and again, you're gonna, we're going to make a mistake. That's, that's fine. It, it happens. I mean, I'd rather have the human error element than rather they go all robots and computers and it just takes away from the game. But yeah, I, I have a couple of uh, nephews that play basketball. And the last time I went to see one of their games, I remember they had one of their teammates was just like, like the LeBron James of their team. And it was just really interesting to see. Who cares about fouls and kids yeah. games? They're well, that's what fun. separates, you know, the great players from the good ones is that they can block that out. Yes. You know, of course, they're going to argue their case when they don't get it. OK, fine. We move on. Use that motivation to do better, to not be in that position. But we're starting to run out of time with you, Mr. Doe. But we are so glad and thankful that you joined us here on Sports Matters. And once again, you still have the Doe Post podcast. Yes. 
Yes, sir. Uh, we got some fantasy basketball episodes up on hiatus right now, but I'm probably going to get back to it eventually with uh, the off season coming. And yeah, but well, now that you, you know, got time, you- look, man, you're graduating. You got finals week. You've been studying this whole time. You got to focus on that. The task at hand, the two months of free time. I'm sure you'll probably you'll be loaded with podcasts. So you definitely want to tune into the dope post because he really breaks it down. This man knows what it's like being behind the scenes because you you went to the summer pro league before and hopefully uh, that comes through this year. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll, I'll do a lot better this time with just like networking with people and just meeting people. But uh, I'm confident. And uh, yeah, I want to get the writing started start started up. Uh, I want to cover the Lakers. I want to cover their free agents and how their contracts are going to look like. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you better stay tuned and tune into the Doe Post because that's where you're going to get the true insider information. But thank you again, Adam Doe, for joining us on Sports Matters. And Matt and I, you got nothing but love from us. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Love you guys. Appreciate you, brother. And thanks again to Adam Doe for joining us here on Sports Matters. We always appreciate your NBA insider information, your thoughts. It's a great tournament. Obviously, we saw the L.A. Lakers get eliminated over the weekend. And honestly, Matt, I just think they're just exhausted. Just because of the pandemic and not much time off in between, especially when you're an older player, for them to rest up and, and be healthy and then change over in the roster that didn't help them either. And you have to give credit to the young sons. I mean, they were, they showed why they were the number two team, almost the number one team in the Western conference. They showed that Devin Booker, Hey man, I'm here to stay. I'm a superstar. I live for these moments. That's what he said in a press conference. So I believe it 47 points in a closing game. Wow. He couldn't be stopped. Chris Paul's his veteranship really uh, took that team to the next level. And Deandre Ayton's playing like a beast. I mean, they've hit on their draft picks. And you know who was a pain in the Lakers' butt? Cameron Payne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been pretty He's been pretty stellar this entire postseason. Um, I think that, you know, this, this Lakers team, I always knew that they weren't going to, you know, they were going to struggle throughout the season. The wear and tear of the bubble was real. The, the amount of injuries that the teams that went really deep into the bubble, we saw – each one of their star players get hurt. We've seen LeBron get hurt. We've seen AD get hurt. We've seen Jimmy Butler get hurt. We've seen the Nuggets and the Jazz have injuries. You know, Jamal Murray tearing his ACL, and then Donovan Mitchell is now back, um, and they've had a, a ton of success. Even in the Eastern Conference, you know, Boston had some injuries that they were going through. Toronto. And the wear and tear of the bubble was real, and you see teams that the Suns, they've been healthy pretty much for the entire season up until now. Chris Paul gets hurt, but he's he's getting older, and he's dealt with a lot of things in his career. To be honest with you, the Brooklyn Nets, it's theirs to lose. It's, it really it's is. To That's going to be the and, series. That's the championship right there amongst championships is the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. I picked the Bucks. I think they're the most well-balanced team, and they're the, probably be the only team that could really beat the Brooklyn Nets. But I agree with you, Matt. When those big three are playing at a top-level basketball, they're going to be tough to beat four times in seven tries. They really are. I'm still rolling with the Milwaukee Bucks. I know you got the Brooklyn Nets. So, hey, this is our championship right here. But, I mean, I don't want to disrespect Philadelphia. We'll see if Philadelphia get past the uh, young Atlanta Hawks, too. That's going to be a great series. That's going to be a tough, tough series for Philadelphia, to be honest with you. I think Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the league. Hands down, missing Joel Embiid for potentially a, a longer amount of time. They called it a minor meniscus tear. 
who knows how minor it is and if they're down playing it to try to get him back. But usually a meniscus tear, you're out for a month and you got to get, sometimes you got to get surgery on it to get repaired. So I'm not sure how healthy he's going to be throughout the rest of the playoffs, but that that's a big blow to Sixers and their organization. They're going to have to get some steps up from, from different areas. But like you said, Bucks, Nets, that's, that's really, you know, the two best teams in the NBA that are still left right now. I know the Western Conference has a few bigger, bigger teams between the Nets and the Bucks at this point. I think the Bucks have a way better roster than they did last year. And that it goes to show how well they played. I think that the upgrade to get Drew Holiday is pretty substantial Huge. for them. And so now they have a big three, even though there may not be the caliber of, of, of skill wise and talent that the but they are more Brooklyn big three yeah. is, but they're they're definitely a big three. The reason why I like the Bucks, I mean they have two players that are two way players that can play both ends of the floor, and that's Chris Middleton and Giannis. I mean they're both just tremendous players, and then. I like my man, Brolo, down low. Brooke Lopez, man, he's been playing really well. He's been more consistent this year. He's found a way to, to survive in this league that really centers became uh, almost extinct, if you will, and he developed that three-point shot. So he has a great all-around game, and he's a force down low. So it's going to be an interesting uh, series, but we'll see what happens. You know, I'm excited for it. I know you are, but hey, let's roll into some hockey here because I know we never touch on hockey, and real quick, there's some things going on with hockey. I actually X'd out the tournament there, but basically it comes down to it. This has been a weird season because last year, I, I think they did things differently. And that's why um, the Tampa Bay Lightning have been ousted by the Boston Bruins back-to-back years. And then last year they lose the first game, but then they come back and did the gentleman sweep. And they got that monkey off their back, if you will. And they went on ahead and, and went and won the championship. I mean, they just start steamrolling people. They're such a explosive, high-scoring team. However, this year, the brackets are a little bit different. I don't know how they do it. I guess they're doing the reseeding or, or what have you, because now Tampa Bay is on the other side. And they played Florida in the first round. Now they got the Carolina in the second round and they went up 2-0 and then he just lost game three and a nice overtime game. That was a great game to watch, but I, th- I still think Tampa Bay will get past Carolina. I know you like Carolina and uh, Boston pretty much is handling uh, New York Islanders right now. And well, that's I think be- that Carolina Tampa Bay series is probably going to go to seven. I think that Islanders Boston series is, is probably the one that's going to be the most fun to watch. I think the least fun to watch is going to be Colorado, Vegas, Golden Knights. Colorado just seems to just be the best team in hockey right now. I, I know, I know you're you're heavy on the Lightning right now, but Colorado is stacked with the capital S. Just you know what? I'm going to put it. They're going to be all caps lock stacked in terms of their roster. They really don't have very many weaknesses. Colorado is the team to beat at this point. Um, and you go throughout this entire playoff series, and, you know, there's going to be some really fun ones. I think that Tampa Tampa versus Carolina is, is not over, even though it's kind of early and Tampa has played really well. Montreal has shown some brief excellence versus uh, Toronto series, and they're tough. Winnipeg is another tough team, so that's going to be a fun series if you like hits and hockey and if you like, you know. Well, here's how it's going to play out. Physical kind of play. Colorado, they're the only team that's not lost a game yet. They're up 2-0 on Vegas, and Vegas is a very good team. They're seated at number two, Colorado seated at number one. 
And then whoever wins out of Boston and New York Islanders probably would be Boston because I know they're they got a salty taste in their mouth after losing to Tampa Bay last year in the uh, divisional finals. So it'll probably be Colorado versus Boston in the semis over here, probably be Tampa Bay. I know Winnipeg has got a good squad. So it'd be interesting. One of those Canadian teams will match up with Tampa Bay in the semifinals. That's just my predictions. I, I don't think Carolina has enough to take Tampa Bay out, but I'm not discounting them. They are the number one seed in the East and they could very well, if they win game four, this series is tied and anything can happen. So, I mean, Tampa Bay could just go cold, but it just seems like Tampa Bay flipped that switch. They are defending champs, but it would be really cool to see Tampa Bay and Colorado in the finals. That would be something. Yeah, I think the Canadians and the Winnipeg Jets, that series already has, there's some bad blood. If you like physical, I'm telling you, if you like physical hockey, go watch that Winnipeg-Montreal. That next game is going to be brutal because – what happened was at the end of the game, the Canadians were up by one goal, empty net opportunity, guy skates around the back of the net, and Mark Shoffley, one of their best players, comes through and absolutely leveled him. Full speed down the ice, leveled. It was it was a huge hit. Go, go YouTube it if you want to see it. But he got suspended four games for that hit, and he absolutely just teed off on him. And the whole bench clearing brawls, both teams were going at it at the end. Of, and this was after the game was over, like the, the, the over, you know, the, the horn sounds with like four seconds left. And then these teams just start duking it out. So I'm telling you that series, you're going to want to watch it. If you like physical hockey and you like hockey in general, you should, you should go watch that series because those two teams do not like each other. And then obviously I think that Boston Islanders series is going to be the, the most competitive because both those teams are, are really competitive and very even with each other. I still like Carolina's chances in that series, but I, it's it's Colorado's to lose at this point, in my opinion. They're, they're stacked. They have arguably, you know, right now the two hottest players in hockey in terms of their overall abilities in Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ratnan. Those two are, are just absolutely on fire, so – yeah, this is going to be a really fun hockey playoff. If you haven't been watching, now's the time to start watching because it we, we were on medium heat and now it got put up to high because all these teams are going to be looking to, to play some physical hockey and, and I'm all for it. Uh, sports is just heating up right now. This is the, the fun time of the year. You got both NHL and NBA playoffs going on. Baseball's going on. The French Open. Even the NFL, the spring camps are going on. It's like there's just so much stuff. You got MLS. I mean, my goodness, it just gets better and better. And we feel like we're opening up, but we are starting to run out of time, ladies and gentlemen. And coming up next, you have the Platinum Standard. She has a great show lined up for you. So you want to stay tuned for Claudia Shambal to Ask a Leader, which is coming up right here at 9 a.m., which is in here just in a few moments. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. But all I got to say is all sports matters. I love you, grandmas. Yeah.